Hello and welcome to a special episode of What The Folk podcast. The Mowbray era is now well and truly over. And despite some flirtation with Will Still, Kim Helberg and other various lovely European names, it was that of former QPR and Rangers manager Mick Beale, who was named the new head coach of Sunderland AFC yesterday. It's an appointment which has certainly caused unrest and a lot of disappointment with you know a lot of the fan base. So I have roped in... One of my best pals, my oldest pals, definitely oldest, Scott Patterson, um, <laughs> from the excellent This Is Ibrox to give me a deep dive into uh, Mick Beale, Michael Beale, um, and hopefully a semblance of hope. But first and foremost, Scott, I feel like it's been about a month. How are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm, listen, I'm really good, Graham. I appreciate you having me on. Um, it's a, it's an interesting time, I think, to be a, a Sunderland fan, isn't it? Um, and... Do you know, it's, it's a great time to be a Rangers fan right now. It's, it's the sort of rear end of, of 2023 and we're going hopefully for, for first position, certainly at some point in January. So it's a busy time for us as well. Um, and there's obviously something very special intertwining us both right now. Special is definitely the word. Um, so Michael Beale, look, you knew him as assistant, a successful assistant and a not so successful manager at Rangers. Uh, you text me about four days before we actually knew what was going to happen when there was a couple of links coming out. What did you make of the news when you, you first heard that he was going to be joining someone? So I think when it when it came out that that he was he was one of the guys, I think at that point he was one of the chaps that was was under consideration. Um I wasn't I wasn't hugely surprised. It strikes me as a job that he could potentially go in and do I actually think I, I must I must lead with I think Michael Michael Beale will do okay at Sunderland. I, I think it's important that I lead with that. Um, there's no doubt that um, our experience up here of him, recent experience, um, wasn't great as little as six months ago. By the way, so um, we have very recent experience in Michael Beale, and it hasn't been great. We also have experience of him being not so bad. I have to say, it's easy to walk by. Um, how important he was when when Rangers won their fifty fifth league championship. He was there. He was involved in that. I think everyone largely believes he had quite a key part to play, which I think he did. Um, when I when I heard that he was he was linked with that job, I thought, you know, that actually strikes me as being a job that he could go in and be relatively successful in big club, big fan base. Um, I know from from doing some bits and pieces from my research, a lot of young players in there. Um, and and Michael Beale has has made a career and of the various voice notes that you'll hear from him over the next week while um, he will refer to um, youth and up and coming talent um, and you just need to hope that he nurtures those guys properly looks after them properly um, and puts them on the proper path at Sunderland. I think when we look at what we're getting as a coach, if you take out of his spell. Maybe the last five games of QPR, which is not really a big stretch of time, and obviously his time at Rangers, that, that hasn't been great in terms of his management and coaching in that period. Yeah. But in general, he's, he's he's had a good rep. There's a reason he got that job at QPR. You don't just walk into a championship job and you don't just walk into Rangers. But one thing that, and look, we don't know McBeal from Adam, 
as a person. We can only tell from the sound bites we hear, but we all know how we left QPR. And yeah. we've seen the things from Todd Cantwell, which has been good. Sakala, which have not been good. Balogun, which have kind of hinted at something that wasn't great. What yeah. What's something getting in Michael Beale as a man from your experience? See, that's a good question because I think this this will stir up some some old memories for me. So for, for those that, that, that don't know, um, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst was, of course, in charge um, at, at Rangers pre-Michael Beale. Michael Beale visited Ibrox for an apparent pre-arranged visit to the director's box um, and sat and watched Rangers batter Aberdeen one afternoon for nothing. Um, and ironically enough, it was almost the, it was almost the death knell on, on Giovanni Van Bronckhorst's Rangers career. The optics of that, and I said that indeed on This Is Ibrox, the optics of that were not great for Michael Beale. Um, whether that was intentional or not, I'll let the experts decide that they'll tune in and listen. But the optics of that, I don't think, were, were great from a moral perspective. You could get drawn in, of course, to the argument about where the morals really lie in football. I personally think nine times out of ten they're all over the place. And I know that that you and I have had discussions on that previously, which we won't go into. But um, as far as what he's like as a man, I, that's a really hard one to answer. I don't think that the way he arrived at Ibrox was particularly clever. Um, you and I have spoken off camera, and I I was a I was a supporter of Michael Beale coming in, but I think a lot of that was romanticised based on his history under Stephen Gerrard and how important he was that season when we won the league. Um, it became apparent certainly this season, and I have to say, probably in elements of last, that um, all was not well with him. To be perfectly honest, looking at. One question that has came repeatedly when I've asked if anyone has any questions, it came in our statement, and I kind of bloody well knew it would come in the statement because it's very much <laughs> um, middle management speak, but he lasted 43 games at Rangers, so, so not that many, what, like a season, give or take. Um, he won 31, he drew four, and he lost eight. Now, yeah. there's tons of Sunderland fans um, have said, you know, why do Rangers fans hate him so much, why do you rank him so poorly when he had a win percentage of 72.09%? Um, I know why, because I live in Glasgow. But <laughs> for the people who don't know, can you give me some insight as to why the man who has such a good percentage in terms of winning compared to other Rangers managers is so poorly thought of as a manager um, based on his time at Rangers? Um, so this, I think there's a couple of sort of threads that we, we can sort of run through here, Graham, if we can. Big games, um, identity, i.e. a way of playing. Uh, and I think something that you sort of alluded to just at, at, at the start of the pod is maybe treatment of players a little bit and that empathetic approach that we all like to think exists, but is football and maybe it just doesn't exist as much as what we, we would like it to. Um, of course, he, he, he beat Celtic towards the end of last season. Um, the old firm dead rubber that is never a dead rubber when everyone knows it was almost a dead rubber. Um, but we had the, the the Scottish Cup semi-final last year that, that didn't go his way. We had the old firm game at the start of the season at Ibrox this year, didn't go his way. We had the, the, the Aberdeen game, which was the game that eventually saw him depart, which didn't go his way, quite badly didn't go his way that, that afternoon, I would have to say. And the... 
the thread, if you like, through that particular statement is matches against Celtic and Aberdeen um, are, are big games for Rangers. They are big matches that the support expect to win, both for entirely different reasons. I think the Aberdeen rivalry is something that's became a bit for over the years, to be perfectly honest with you, but you still like to beat them, as, as we, we've just experienced. Celtic's an entirely different um, scenario. It's, it's, an, it's an expectancy that you beat them. Um, and that's why it's so important for any new manager coming into my club that they, they beat their biggest rivals. I know you guys have a, a huge game coming up just around the corner, and as that gets closer, you guys will be desperate to to win that that afternoon. Of course you will. Um, I think his treatment of, of, of players, and it, this has become more and more apparent recently as Fashion Sakala, who was once with us and has left, has, has spoken to the press. The treatment of him was despicable. To be perfectly honest with you, I, I, was, I wasn't a great fan of Fashion Sakala. I always felt that Rangers needed better players than him. However, um, the reading his version of events, the way that he was treated was particularly poor. Um, to not have the opportunity to say cheerio, to be basically ostracised from the training ground for no real obvious reason, I, I think is quite a, a poor way to treat a guy. The big thing, um, and it's something that Rangers are seeing are a real shift in just now is identity and way of playing. Uh, we we never saw that with Michael Beale. There was no there was no fluidity. There was no obvious way that he was trying to to get the team set up to to play with. It certainly wasn't evident. I've, I've no doubt the players were sent out to play a particular way. It never came across that way. You have to say. And now, and I'm a very aware it's a Sunderland pod, not a Rangers one. Well, we are seeing that now firsthand, and and we have done, of course, by lifting the first trophy of the season. But those are the three things. I think people really had an, an issue with Michael Beale. And, you know, the reality is that up here, you can beat the, I don't want to say, you, you can beat the smaller teams, 3 nothing, 4 nothing, 5 nothing, however many times you want. But when it comes to the big games and it comes to your trip maybe into the capital or your games against Aberdeen, but particularly your games against Celtic, you have to win them. They're the big ticket items. They're the games that you absolutely need to take three points and ideally good performances, but absolutely three points. You must beat them. If you don't do that, you're on a hide to nothing. Um, and all the other things put together just didn't work out for them in the end up here. I think when we look at those sort of games, look, I'll, I'll hold my hands up. I think people know this. When I don't go see Sunderland, I'll go see Rangers play. So I get to about 10 to 15 games per year and experience a lot of the Michael Beale era. Um, but those games against Celtic, a few of which which I, I went to or, or watched on TV, it wasn't just a case of losing them. The performances were particularly poor, give or take one or two. And I think when you look at the cup final for those not aware, it was spectacularly bad, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it just wasn't... I go back to what I say, the, these games, they almost take after, they look after themselves. And I'm a great believer that um, the minute the players cross the white line, the, the manager at that point is is effectively burst, to be perfectly honest with you. There's very little he can do after your players run across the white line. But they're just... You know, I, I use the word fluidity. There was there was a lack of that. There was a lack of there was a lack of connection. And um, the, the, there was games that players just didn't look like they knew what they were meant to be. So, what's your job? Do you know it? If you don't, you shouldn't be on the pitch. It's as simple as that. They were there to do a job, and I think nine times out of ten, sadly, particularly in the big games, and um, we saw that quite often. 
when we talked about him as a man before, we touched on um, the stuff that happened with Sakala. I posted the links to what Sakala had said and Balogun, who he signed for QPR and then re-signed again for Rangers and was, you know, the assistant when, when Balogun was with Rangers the first time. Um, I wouldn't say it was the same as Sakala, but he hinted that maybe, you know, he was unhappy with some things. But then I also posted a video of Todd Cantwell, who's doing a good job up at Rangers. He's kind of reinventing his career a little bit and, and he's very well liked by the fan base. And he said some really, really positive stuff that you love to hear um, from any player about their manager. But is there a caveat to that? Was there a particular reason that Cantwell seems to connect so well with Michael Beale? Because there's a few players that have said similarly good things, but it seems his character hasn't been praised that much recently outside of you know Cantwell's comments. Do you know that we Todd Cantwell's a he's a bit of a strange fish, to be honest with you, I have to say. Um I'm a huge fan of Todd Cantwell, wonderfully gifted footballer. Um, I think that there's often a risk of him becoming a bit of an enigma, regardless of how much you love him. Um, it's easy to forget on match day one of this season when Rangers went to Kilmarnock, um, Michael Beale never started Todd Cantwell that afternoon. Um, much to the fans' disgust, almost no one could understand why he wasn't starting. Um, and in Todd Cantwell's case, I think Todd Cantwell just needs a manager to to sort of wrap him up and, and look after him. I think the move to Rangers helped Todd Cantwell enormously as opposed to Michael Beale helping Todd Cantwell enormously. I think Cantwell needed a bit of a an injection and I think coming up to Glasgow has, has given him that. Um, it's probably worth pointing out as well, Graham, just when we're talking about maybe the positivity, Scott Arfield... Um, is back in, in Great Britain just now and has recently um, commented on just what a good coach Michael Beale is. He's, he actually refers to him as the best coach he's ever worked with. Um, and you know that way I, I, I noted his press conference yesterday, or the sort of TV presser that he had with the club television channel, um, and it referred to, and I'm not quoting him at all, so I apologise if I get this wrong, but he did say something along the lines of he didn't want to be the manager of the football club, but he's quite happy to be the coach. And there's a debate there over when does your head coach not become your manager? Was it a, was it just too big a job at Rangers? I mean, was, was Rangers just too big for Michael Beale at that time in his career? I, I personally think it was. I think the job was too big for him at that time. Yeah, I think that as well, to be fair. And, and you know, when he got appointed... Um, he'd done all right at QPR. He'd fallen off a bit with the Wolves stuff. and But then I think from living in this area and knowing the connection that Beal had, and he had a very good reputation with Rangers because of what he'd done as a coach and an assistant, that it, he was never going to turn that down. Um, so I kind of understood why he went there. Did I think it was far too soon? Yes. And I think I've got the receipts to prove that as well. And so it proved. Do you know that way? I think one of the things that, and you, you refer to, I think a lot of people maybe forget the the Wolves affair which happened in between QPR and Rangers. What I think you need to hope from a, a Sunderland perspective is that his head isn't turned. So if he comes in, for example, and hits the ground running, um, all things being equal, maybe gets in the next round of the FA Cup, which you just never know. Um, you have to hope his head isn't turned because the... The downfall from QPR was was immediately after the Wolves episode. That that was a problem for him. Um, and of course, he'd done a lot of things via the QPR TV, which didn't look well now, which I think everyone understands and, and looks at. But it's a moment in time. 
the the sad reality is all these moments in time are captured via social media and places like YouTube. You can go and see what he said and you can spit venom at it if you like. But he said at a moment in time, obviously thought he was doing and saying the right thing. And then Rangers came calling and I just, you know, it, it was too big a job for him to say, I can't take that because it may be your only opportunity. Do you know what I mean? Rangers offer me a job tomorrow, I'll jack in the job I do right now <laughs> because they may never come asking again. And there may be a bit of that as, as far as Michael Beale's concerned. But I, I go back to what I say, it was too big a job from way too early in his career. If Son and Dahl listening and they're looking at offering me a job as well, that isn't head coach, I'll probably take it as well just on that. <laughs> so fair play to him. Um, you know, when you look at, like, there's a lot of things that are negative. And look, I think, in bulk, it hasn't been received that well by Sunderland fans, but there is positives. Um, and part of the reason he did come back to Rangers was the respect he'd garnered as the assistant, which I've referred to a few times. How important was he as a coach and, and the assistant to the you know the title win, the 55th title win in his first spell when he was with Gerald? Like, how imperative was he to that? Um, well, you know, probably the, the best thing I... The best way I could probably put this together would be when Stephen Gerrard left Rangers, um, he made a point of taking Michael Beale to him with Aston Villa. And uh, do you know what I mean? How that relationship now is maybe for another podcast, frankly. But at that point, when Stephen Gerrard was offered his first big job in England, um, he wanted to make sure he had guys that were loyal to him and lieutenantly, if you like and make sure they went with him. I think Michael Beale was a huge reason for our success that, that year 55. There's no doubt Stephen Gerrard was was a figurehead behind it. But behind every sort of figurehead at a football club, there's guys that are mucking in, in the background. I look at our own Walter Smith in, in previous times, God rest his soul, um, Archie Knox, working behind him, really, really important. Laterally, guys like Kenny McDowell and Ali McCoyst, really, really important guys to have around. I think the difference with, with Michael Beale is that he had a coaching pedigree, he had a real sort of tactical noose about him. I think that's absolutely fair. Um, and yeah, he was important that year. I, I I don't think you could you could suggest he wasn't. Don't forget, we won our league as well when it was it was COVID. So everything was that little bit different. Um I will never see a, a another football season like that again. I certainly hope, unless it's a Union Jack being lofted into there, of course. But um, yeah, I I think he was he was he was absolutely important in that season. No two ways about it. Looking at his appointment at Sunderland now, obviously you would have watched the video you did yesterday, and you talked about taking too much on, as you said before, and how. I think if you look back in the interviews, he seemed relatively happy to be doing the recruitment and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's a little bit. Of changing, um, changing the past there from from Michael. If I'm completely honest, because he was quite happy to take on the extra jobs based on what he said in the press up here. However, he's coming here as a head coach. Mike Dodds is going to go in as his assistant. He's been promoted, and the coaching team is going to stay the same as what it was with Mowbray. And we've had a relatively successful time. Well, very successful, far far further ahead in the the, the project than we expected to be. Now, I know recruitment was a big problem for Beal here. Um, I would say one or two belters, five or six absolute shiters, for want of a better word. Yeah. Um, but he's not going to be doing that here. He's coming in to coach the team. Um, 
based on your experience of him as a coach and someone who does everything, how much is it going to benefit Sunderland that Michael Beale only needs to be the coach and nothing else? And you nailed it. I think that's one of the main reasons that I think he will be a success at Sunderland because he's coming in to coach the team. Do you know what I mean? No one's saying to Michael Beale, right, Michael, you know what? We need to have a meeting tomorrow to spend, to decide how you're going to spend that £8 million. Go and buy me a, a winger and a striker. You don't need to do that. But what you will need to do is when Joe Bloggs rocks up at the training centre, I want you to coach him and make it better. And that is where Michael Beale is at his best, when he's on the training pitch trying to coach players to, to become different. Not when he's he's shopping across Europe looking for people. One of the things that we, we got to death pre-season up here was how Michael Beale was flying all across Europe and doing a presentation to players to come in to Rangers. And we ended up with guys like Sam Lammers, who's really, really struggling at Ibrox. We've, we've, we've got Dessers, who I, I think and hope looks like he could be turning a corner, to be perfectly, perfectly frank. But north of £7 million for both. £7 million for Rangers right now is a huge amount of money. Um, so I think the the criticality of Michael Beale not being given the checkbook is, is really, really of paramount importance. But if you can get Michael Beale working with players on the training ground and making them better, coaching them, which is ultimately his bag, I think he might be surprised. I think he'll be okay. One big question a lot of people have asked, and as someone who I've said before, has watched a lot of Rangers because of where I live and, and the games I go to, I can't even answer this, so I'm definitely going to have to throw this one at you 100%. Um, what kind of style can we expect from Michael Beale in terms of play? I know identity was hard to find, but what are we likely to expect? So, and I can, so you, I'll come back to you on that first. Do Sunderland play with wingers just now? Yes, we do everything through Robertson Clark. And so I can only speak from, from my own personal experience. Never used wingers. Relied heavily on the, the fullbacks to, to bomb up and down the left-hand side, which all those years ago when we won 55 was great. But it's the same right-back and left-back now as it was back then. And they're older. And do you know what I mean? Age is a real shit thing to deal with. It does have an effect on your body. Um, James Tavernier is an absolute beast. Clearly a very extremely fit guy, but do you know what I mean? Time takes toll, and that's just the way of it. Um, so I would, I, from my experience watching him at Ibrox, um, he didn't play with wingers. There wasn't a guy sort of hugging the touchline on one side and a guy hugging the touchline on the other. It never happened. I I would love to think that if he has an awareness of how important sort of Patrick Roberts, I assume, and Jack Clark have been, um, I would love to think that he sees how important that is and he sticks with it. Um because he never gave us that approach at Ibrox in the time he was there. When we look at his background in coaching, you touched on it a little bit before. Our model is we don't pay money for anyone over the age of 24 and we very much have a team that I think average age is about 21 years old. There's not a great deal of experience in there. We have two or three players and they tend to get shipped out pretty fast. Whether we like it or not, that's the model. He originally was a youth team coach. Um, 
he doesn't like to speak about it, but he was at Liverpool. That's a joke for the record. Um, he was also at Chelsea. He also went to Sao Paulo. That's why he speaks a bit of Portuguese and stuff. Um, are we likely to see young players given a chance? Because from, from my memory, Ross McCausland, who's doing incredibly well, never played a minute. Alex Lowry, who is highly rated, done really well at Hearts, spoke up a lot, didn't play much. Adam Devine played one or two games, then didn't. So... I feel like he should be giving youth a chance and he's got youth on his side because most of our players are 12 year old up here in Sunderland, uh, down here in Sunderland, sorry. And in terms of my memory from his time at Rangers, the young players didn't actually get a chance and he went back to the players that won him the 55th title with Gerard. Yeah, and, and you know, this, this is a real bugbear for me, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and I, I I understand that if you're, if you're good enough, you're old enough sort of theory, which is, is of course, absolutely right. One of the things that Michael Beale did spend a lot of time saying, uh, uh, indeed one of the people he spent a lot of time speaking up up here, um, was one of our midfielders. It's another academy called Bailey Rice. Um, and, invo- but to my knowledge, was involved in sort of first team training, etc. Very, very highly rated. Um, and Michael Beale went out of his way to, to actually refer to just how, close he was to being involved in the first team with a little bit of regularity. That never happened. Um, and since Philippe Clement came in, again, to my knowledge, I may be wrong, but I don't think Bailey Rice has been involved much in the first team squad and or sessions at all. So I don't know if Philippe Clement isn't seeing the same version of Bailey Rice as what Michael Beale seen, or Michael Beale at, at that time just needed a soundbite to sort of pull them through uh, a little bit. And maybe that maybe that's unfair. And anyone who I've spoke to have seen Bailey Rice play um, are more than happy to tell me he's a very, very good footballer. Um, but I just felt that the, the sort of narrative that Michael Beale set back then was that he was on the verge of busting through. He was going to be, do you know what I mean? He was going to be vying for a place in the centre of the park with your Lundstroms, your Jacks, etc. Um and it's just never happened. So I I think one thing I would say as a Rangers fan to, to the Sunderland um, fraternity listening in is beware of his press conferences, beware of what he tells you, because it might just be shit. Oh, no. Um, but I have heard this before. Yes, correct. Um, I said before, I think it's been received relatively negatively. If we're looking at Twitter, like on Twitter is not a barometer, but I guess it plays some part. Somebody asked a question, which I think was really, really good. If you take his Rangers gig out of his CV, and I think he means the management here, would the appointment make more sense? Um. Well, I, I don't know. You're, you're the Sunderland fan. Would you be happy for a Sunderland board to go and approach QPR for their manager? No. <laughs> I think you know, it's all... It, joking aside... It, it comes down to expectations. And I, if you think about a, a management career almost being a ladder, um, how much of a jump would QPR be to Rangers on a ladder? I think it's quite high. I think that's quite a high step up. Me too. Uh, and that's not me poo-hooing um, QPR but by any matter of means, but my football club are massive. Yeah. They're a huge club. They're an institution up here. You don't win the league. Your jacket's on a shugly, shugly nail. And that's just the way of it. Um, whereas I think down south, if you maybe 
if you finish mid-table in the championship this season, you'll maybe get another crack at it next year. You, you're, you're not given that degree of um, fairness, if you like, up here. You either win or you lose. And if you finish second, you're a loser. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I've got two more for you. Now, I talk about Twitter not being a barometer of much. Simon Jordan and TalkSport definitely aren't. Um, however, <laughs> Simon Jordan this morning goes on to say he felt Bill was a bit of a bluffer, and that's a quote. Um, but the reason I'm asking this is it's a lot of things Rangers fans have said. And I understand when you're not successful at Rangers, again, you win or you lose, you loved or you hated. It's kind of no in between with that either in, in most cases. So I understand that maybe there's a bit more vitriol towards Beale than maybe he deserves, truth be told. Um, as someone who lives at and understands it and, and knows the kind of landscape a little bit more than, than some. But how accurate do you think the comment is a bit of a bluffer actually is? Because Rangers fans have indicated that. Uh, yeah. It's hard not to say that it's really quite accurate to be honest, and I think it comes back to the comment that um, that you said yourself. He he openly admitted to being quite happy to be hands on, to to go to Italy and speak to players, to go to France and speak to players, to go to LA to chase Jose Cifuentes for the summer, in the hope that he was going to come in and be the next big thing. There's an argument for that as well, by the way. Um, so yeah. Bluffer. I, I don't know if I agree with the term bluffer. I think he. Um, I think he he's the master of the sound bites. I would say he'll say lots of different things, and in the middle, the truth may be somewhere. I'm not accusing him of being a liar by any matter of means, but what I am saying is that of all the the bluster that you get from him, um, there may be one or two things in there that that sort of strike a chord with people, but there'll be a lot of stuff that you will look back on at some point in the future and say, here, do you remember when he said that? A lot of crap. Um, and I, that's just the way of it. And I think up here, it's probably emphasised more because we are so desperate to win more than what we've won in recent times and we just want a manager then that is successful. You guys will be exactly the same. You're looking at playoffs and he may indeed get you into the playoffs. I certainly hope he does. I wish him well in the role for what it's worth, I should say. Um, and it might just be something that you guys just need to go with. But beware of his pressers, is, is what I would say in the first instance. Beware of them. Someone called him a less sexy Lee Johnson, which I thought was really harsh, but um, I kind of understood where they were coming from. But look, through all this, there's been things, there's been caveats and the stuff we discussed. And some people may feel negative and worried about some stuff. And yet, you know, there's a reason the fan base hasn't been... 100% probably behind it. We we can say that. It's been a bit of a shock. Um, but you have hinted to loads of good things here as well. And you, you've hinted you think you'll be a success. So my final question, and this is, you know, I don't know if you're a betting man, Scott. I'm certainly not. Or at least I am, but I'm not a good one. Um, Michael Beale's remit will be to get Sunderland in the playoffs and get them promoted and, and then build from there. He's maybe got 18 months to show that he can do that. Yeah. If you were to put your house on it, would you say that he can or can't get Sunderland up in the next 18 to two years, 18 months to two years? Goodness me, I really like this house, Graham. I really yeah. like it. <laughs> um, do you know that? I, say mine instead, then you can you can sell mine off. Mine's mine's all right. Um, I I think that Michael Beale will get his in the playoffs this year. 
Um, do I think he will get you guys promoted this year? I'm not convinced, to be perfectly honest with you. I think he's coming in at a, a pretty poor time where everyone else will probably expect him to spend a bit of money in January when in two things in, in January you get a lot of tosh. You don't get anything. You get players that want away, maybe mischief-making, not getting games. There's a reason that these players don't get games, by the way, and it's not to get a move to your club. Um, so I think he, there's a there's a decent chance that he'll get his into playoffs. Will he get Sunderland promoted over time? I am really not sure. I think the Championship is, is such a a difficult league to get out of. You always know that three teams are going to drop back into it with millions of pounds as well. And all they need to do is go again and spunk all that money elsewhere as as, as early as they possibly can. Um, so it becomes a very, very difficult league to get out of. What I think you need to hope as a fan is, is that Michael Beale coaches these players to be the very, very best they can be. Um, and as I say, based on what I think I know, from a from a, a coaching prowess, if you like, he's a very good coach, um, and maybe him not having too much to do other than coach and coach the football team might just be the making of Michael Beale. And make no mistake about it, Graham. I think over the last six months, Michael Beale will have, uh, will have learned a huge amount on himself. Do you know what I mean? I think the job at Rangers almost turned into a bit of a learning for him, and no one should come to be the Rangers manager to learn. It's as simple as that. If you're coming up to Rangers, you have to come up here and you need to be good to go. You're going to win stuff. You've got history of winning stuff and you know you're going to do it. You put yourself across well. You manage your people correctly and you look after your full football base, your support. You say the right things at the right time. Michael Beale, I think, in each of those scenarios, probably got most of them incorrect. I think it's fair to say. However, now he can't fail but look back at that and look at the experience and think, right, I've done that wrong, I need to do more of this, and I certainly should not do that. The focus on Michael Beale for the next six months or so should be on the coaching part and making sure that the players he does have at his disposable are, are really good to go and can make a real goal for that playoff position between now and May next year. It's quite, I think you've done your job by making me feel positive. I think. <laughs> I think. But I'll let you know, mate. I'll give you a WhatsApp and I'll let you know how I feel in an hour's time when I've digested it all. But um, thanks for joining me. Um, obviously, we've known each other for a couple of years now. Where can we find this as Ibrox for those who would be interested in listening? I'm sure there'll be some that won't be because you range your divisive club, but there might be some that are. So listen, we're right across um, social media, uh, your Rangers podcast, this is Ibrox. We're available in all the obvious places. Um, I don't want to turn this into a promotion from a from a pod, but we're going to do it. Um, do it, do Twitter, it. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Threads is apparently still a thing. Who knew? Um, and if 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 you're interested in your Rangers content, um, I I fully recommend um following us. Great group of guys that look after the the bits and pieces that we do. Um, you can get us on a Sunday night. You can get us on a midweek. We also do a a pod from the gantry. Um, each week as well, which is particularly exciting to to sort of pod from from the gantry with, with Ibrox in the background. So, um, yeah, I, I I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do that. If you do want to follow us, by all means do, and I know you do already, Graham. Anyway, I do, I do, definitely do, mate. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me, Scott. <laughs> thanks, buddy. Thanks, Graham. Having me as well, I suppose. Oh, I 
Wake up, Bill! Wake up, Bill! Three and a half years.